Klaatu Barada Nikto. Sorry, I think I just ordered a coffee in Bulgaria. Never mind, this is episode 85 of Have You Seen? Hello everyone, welcome to episode 85 of Have You Seen? Uh, Once again from our satellite recording studios at various points in the southeast of England, I suppose. Um, I'm Kieran Lefort, and somewhere at the other end of these bean tins and string is Tom Webb. Hello. We are here to review Outlander and The Day the Earth Stood Still. There will be precisely zero Mm -hmm. Keanu Reeves on this show. Excellent. Because we're reviewing the original. Yeah. Um... So, I've got Outlander open. Yeah, same here. Excellent, good. Let's do that first then. Okay. Um, I pitched this to Tom last week. Um, The basic pitch is a soldier from a distant planet crash lands on Earth, uh, and he's brought with him a massive alien beastie, which he then has to hunt down. There are two problems with this. One, he crashed in a lake, so all his technology is gone. And two, it's Norway, and it's 709 AD, so there is no technology anyway. Yeah. So... Our man from the stars, who played by Jim, better known as Jesus Caviezel, yeah. uh, has to team up with the local Vikings, which include people like John Hurt, uh, to try and take on um, a big nasty thing. Yeah, I have just referred to Jim Caviezel as Jesus Jim, because hey, I, I couldn't spell his surname. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I liked it because I like the monster and I like the premise. Um Let's see if Tom liked anything about it. Um, I was, I have to say, I was quite disappointed. Okay. Um, and I, it's mostly because I think it's a really, really good idea, but it kind of, it kind of takes that idea and skews it into the into a genre that I'm not particularly interested in. What Vikings? Well, no, it's kind of, it feels more like a sort of sword and sorcery movie. So it feels, although I've never seen it, it feels a bit kind of Games of Thronesy, you know. It's okay. a bit more kind of mythical, you know. And it's for me, it it could have gone two ways. It could have gone more sci-fi or more sword and sorcery, and it kind of went the wrong way for me. Okay. Uh, I think if it, had, I think if he hadn't have lost his technology, it would mm. have been much, much more interesting. Okay. Do you think Vikings plus laser guns would yeah, have been more fun? Yeah, I think that that kind of... Because basically, as soon as he lost his technology, it didn't matter that he was an alien or from another planet. He could have just been from a different country. Yeah, I suppose you're right. So it kind of was like you, you've come up with this great premise of a man from outer space comes to Earth and interacts with Vikings, but then you take away everything that makes him a man from outer space. Yeah, so, I suppose that's true. You know, it, that's why it, basically. So my my thoughts main thought was, I, it's a great concept. I just mm. didn't like the execution of it. Okay, it's similar to a a, a superhero loses his powers movie. Yeah, for, like, yeah, for example, it is. Um, uh, the first Thor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I, and also, I think it. I I didn't really think that Jim Caviezel had that kind of action heroy sort of vibe. Okay. I just f- I felt him a bit like uncharismatic, and I was reading somewhere that it was um, uh, that two people up for the role before mm-hmm. him were Carl Urban and mm-hmm. uh, Tom Jane, and I think both of them would have done a far like would have been far more engaging. 
Mm. Uh, Carl Urban character. ended up in Pathfinder instead. Yeah, he? yeah, that's what he did instead of doing this. Mm. Um, I'm not sure about Tom Jane, why, uh, why he was busy, but um, punishing something. Yeah, uh, I. But having said that, I do. I did really like uh, John Hurt. Yeah, he's the best thing in it. He's giving yeah. it the beans, even if he does look a bit silly when he puts his king helmet on for the battle scenes. Yeah, yeah. So John Hurt and Ron Perlman, Ron Perlman definitely yes. kind of bring it, bring it alive. Mm. Ron Perlman looks like he's having a whale of a time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that kind um, of makes it that you know when they're on screen, it, it kind of has a little bit more fun to it. Mm, yeah. And I kind of think that. Where they when they stripped out the sci-fi, it kind of needed it needed to get fun and silly, and it it didn't really. It took itself a bit too seriously. Okay. Um, Ron Perlman, he um, <laughs> I've I watched this twice because I watched it and I didn't take any notes on it, and then I thought, oh yeah, that might do as a movie for the uh, for the show. Uh, I put it in the in the realm of entertaining crap. Right. Right. Um, and uh, uh, I kind of I watched it again before we recorded this, um, and. Uh, Ron Perlman, it struck me that he sounds just like the Scotsman from Samurai Jack, although I think he was going for Northern Irish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is a kind of weird, like, I was never quite sure who, what accent people were supposed to have. Yeah. It does um, kind of wander all over the place. Some people um, just stick with American. Some people go, like, Irish or Scottish, yeah, well, yeah, and it's like, they're supposed to be they Vikings. Wanted, they wanted Caviezel to be American because everybody else was going to be vaguely European. Yeah. So, like, he'd be the right. alien because he had a, a funny accent. Yeah. But then the little kid in the film also has an American accent. Yeah, yeah. Which doesn't make any sense. No. Um, Perlman, I do love Ron Perlman's death. Yeah, I was going to say... It made actually, me laugh out loud both times I saw it. Yeah, I th- it, that was one thing. I was just like, it's a real shame that the two best things in it get killed off in pretty much the same scene. Yeah. And it's kind of like, oh, damn, that this film has just died right there because they're the things mm. I'm looking forward to seeing. Um, yeah, I, again, I also think that it, it needed to be more stylized. Mm. So, um, all the scenes are blocked and shot how you'd expect them to be. There was no, yeah. nothing kind of leapt out and go, oh, that's, that's a nice idea or that's an interesting technique. It was very much, um... Workmanlike. Yeah, exactly. Almost, yeah, I know what you mean. You know when you get like a seasoned TV director makes a yeah. feature film? And quite often, like it's it's well made, but everything's just a bit standard. There's no kind of like you, you know they haven't taken the time to kind of try something new or you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kind of felt like that as well. I'm just um, um, just having a look to see what uh, the interesting. Okay, this man's the director's entire IMDb. Yeah credits mm. he was the gaffer on a short film in 1992 yeah production assistant on two films in the late 80s right wrote outlander mm. wrote one of the underworld films right uh directed something called no dessert Tad till you mow the lawn right then directed two tv movies right. in the late 90s mm. and then outlander that's it ah interesting so yeah very kind of stock yeah yeah yeah, and I guess in TV, in with TV movies, it's uh, you have a very limited time, you have a very limited budget. Yeah, get it, get it done, get it on telly. Yeah, um, I yeah. don't know what you mean about this. Does kind of have the same feel to it. Yeah, and I think also there's an element to the story that doesn't quite make sense to me. Okay. Um. So, Kanan 
comes from a planet, but the planet he lives on is a planet where the beast was indigenous. Canaan's mm-hmm. species come, turf out the indigenous beasts, kill them, take their land, mm. and settle there. So the beasts attack and then disappear from the planet and they chase them and Canaan happens to chase them to Earth and then he hunts it down and kills it. So why is he the hero? I suppose, well, he's the hero in movie logic because the other thing has more legs than him. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, can bite him in half quite easily yeah. and he feels remorse about the bad thing he did before yeah, the movie started. absolutely, yeah, I get that. And it's, But it's just kind of like the Beast was only like, you know, it, it was reacting to what was presented to it. Do you know what I mean? Mm, it, was, yeah. it was just doing what it would do. Mm. So I was kind of, that kind of, I was a bit like, eh, they needed to do, I don't know, it's one of those classic things of like the motivations aren't quite right and those flashbacks they tried to make them right but it didn't sit you know didn't quite sit well Hmm. um so that's like i said it's a great idea i just there was just so many little things that built up to me not liking it okay okay do you know what i mean yeah yeah okay i understand that that's fair enough so i didn't think it was a world change or anything no no uh, I found it entertaining for a couple of hours. Yeah, I know. And you found it sort of less entertaining. I, well, I, like, I think if I enjoyed sort of sorcery-style movies, I probably would have found it quite entertaining. Mm. So I, th- I think it's just because it's not quite my genre. Mm. So I can I can understand why people would sit down and enjoy it. It just, for me, I was always like, oh, well, I really like sci-fi. So I would, mm. that's the element I would have ramped yeah, yeah. up and made, you know... Less Vikings, more aliens. Yeah, I think he. I think you could have had more fun, and like you could have made some more interesting stuff out of the Vikings dealing with the modern technology, rather mm. than the other way around. Mm. Because I think, let's face it, no, regardless of what technology you're used to, you know how to wield a sword. Mm. Like, I mean, if I if you were present. You know, if you were presented with a sword and uh, like a spear, you'd yes. probably be able to figure out how to use them. I mean, you might not be able to do it very well, but you could do it. Whereas if you presented a laser gun to somebody from the 10th century, they wouldn't yes. have a clue. You just remind me of one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite things, red versus blue. Right. And there's a guy, one of the characters has got this sword. Uh-huh. And the guy, uh, somebody says to him, do you know how to use that thing? And he's like, it's a sword, not a fucking fighter jet. What's to understand about <laughs> swish, swish, death? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Marvellous. Um, yeah. Well, I guess that's it then yeah, for Outlander. I guess, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm marking that under, uh, under uh, if only they'd done this. You know, like, yeah. it's, it's one of those kind of exasperating movies. But mm. I found a couple of um, reviews on Amazon. I delved yeah. into the one star category. Because they amuse me the most. Okay. Um, uh, this is a one-star review on Amazon. Not a bad film. Plenty of action. Good dialogue. However, like most films involving Vikings, they had to throw in a Christian priest who stupidly gets killed. For the <laughs> yeah. priest to even be there was so anachronistic that I found it difficult to enjoy the rest of the film. <laughs> I do like that. That was quite that bit with the priest. was a bit like, oh, hey, what? Yeah. A, where did he come from? Mm. And B, who in their right mind would think that's a good idea? And here was another one I found. This is this is verbatim. Awfully boring and stupid movie. Is it sci-fi? 
because we laughed like crazy watching this piece of rubbish. Special effects just awful. Horrible acting, simply poor and emotionless. All scenario just dreadfully disgusting. Right. Monster did not fit this movie. Moreover, it looked as if it's made of paper. Long, pointless and ultra-boring dialogues. Plus, absolutely predictable action from the very begging. <laughs> Waste of time and money. One star is highly too much. <laughs> awesome. So, our other movie this week is The Day the Earth Stood Still. In all sorts of, all in all, it's black and white 4 by 3 glory. Yes. Do you want to give a little recap? Yeah, so it's um, classic sci-fi from 1951. Uh, it was kind of cashing in on the vein of flying saucer movies at the time. Uh, most people involved in it thought it would be a, another one of those B-movies, but it kind of turned out to be something a bit more special than that and has stood the test of time as a sci-fi classic. Um, the basic premise is Washington, D.C., a flying saucer lands. Uh, a man comes out or a humanoid comes out, I should say, and he expresses a wish to speak to all of the sort of leaders of the world. Um, and he will only explain the problem uh, that Earth faces to everyone at once because he, he doesn't want to have to go to each individual person and make it, you know, he, wa he wants the, the world to see the problem it faces as a whole and mm -hmm. not as its individual countries. Um, and that's kind of one of its overriding theme, really, is the fact that, you know, perhaps we should consider ourselves as humans rather than British or American or Russian or what mm -hmm. have you. Um, and obviously this was made at the height of the Cold War, uh, so that's kind of a very pertinent point um, that, that, that it's trying to make. Uh, and that's one of the things I like about it is that it's quite a it's quite a bold statement mm. for American cinema at that time. You know, it's it's quite um, uh, when you think about uh, the anti-communism feeling and the risks that particularly the the Hollywood and the media industry faced mm. as being seen as lefties or communists in that mm. era. It was quite I think it's quite a bold. Well, one kind of, of the move. actors in this, actually, the guy who plays the professor was blacklisted. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. I didn't see that. Yeah, he, um, the producers essentially had to beg with the administration to let him do the movie. Really? And then after this, he was he was blacklisted till 58, I think. Wow. Uh, I was reading that the other day. So anyway, that, I mean, that's the, you know, the basic setup. What, what did you think of it? I really enjoyed it. Really? Oh, excellent. I'm pleased. Uh, my first note reads, Academy Aspect and Black and White, bring it on. Yeah. My, um, my first note is Drifting Tanks. Yes. <laughs> yes, I noticed that. <laughs> because there's a bit of the National Guard get uh, get called upon to deal with this situation. And you see this hat tank hooning it out of an army base. And it does a full-on power slide around yeah. the corner. And then, I've and never then, seen that before in my life. No, and then another one does it. So I know. So they should do it twice. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. The army refused to take part in this because they yeah. thought it was a bit lefty and communist, but the National Guard saw an opportunity to look cool on film, so they were like, yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> um, here we are. Uh, Sam Jaffe, who played uh, That's right, yeah. Professor Barnhart, mm. blacklisted by the Hollywood movie studio bosses during the 50s, supposedly for being a communist sympathiser. Despite this, he was hired by Robert Weiss for the day the Earth is still, and then, uh, and then by William Wyler for Ben-Hur. Right. But they, those films are eight years apart. Right, yeah. So uh, he was uh, in trouble yeah. for being a bit red. 
Yeah. Um. Anyway, the film. Uh, I liked how the global impact was set up immediately. Mm. Um, with all the with the news reports. Yeah, I think that's a really ni- nice little. T- I mean, that's a technique you see uh, used a lot. Uh, mm. One <laughs> one of the films. But probably is- not many times before this film. No, one of the ones that really springs to mind is Airplane, um, mm. when they use that technique. But yeah, you're right. I was going to say, it's probably not done very much before this. Mm. I also like the radio announcer in Washington who attempts to deflect attention mm. from from the oncoming menace yeah. by talking about the lovely weather and the tourist crowds. Yes, yeah, yeah. There's some really nice little touches like that. Mm. Um, the shot of the saucer landing mm. uh, in Washington is still really good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and I like the um, I like all the practical techniques mm. used on the saucer as well. I was yeah. reading up on it, like how they got the how they got it to appear completely sealed, and then like the split appears and it slides open. Yeah, I was reading about that using some sort of putty to kind of cover the yeah. to cover yeah. the cover the joint, and then as the thing it just sort of tore apart. And mm. but but in a very nice straight line, mm. yeah, it does look fantastic because it. And then I mean, when they wanted to show it closing, they just ran that backwards. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Um, and also, I did see that because uh, uh, our humanoid man, whose name I can't remember because I didn't write it down. The humanoid man is Klaatu. Klaatu, of course, it is. Um, yes. Who's then Mister Carpenter? Mister, yeah. Uh, he, uh, he comes with this android, this big metal man, uh, but his suit was made from rubber. I was going to say, you got metal yeah. is uh, metal's giving it a bit much. Big foam rubber man, yeah. Big silver foam rubber man. But the trouble is, the only way they could fit it was to have these huge straps holding it together. Mm. Uh, so they had two suits, a front and a back, mm. uh, which is why you only ever see a front or a back because mm. on the other the, side are these huge straps, kind of holding it in place. The guy in the suit wasn't an actor either. No, no. He was a doorman at um, yeah. Grandma's Chinese Theatre. Yeah, it's just some. He just happened huge, to be seven feet tall. Yeah. yeah. I don't have many notes. I just ended up sitting and watching it. Yeah, one of my one of my favorite things is okay, you've got this film. It's, you know, what is it now? 63 years old. Mhm. And it's got this, you know, global message of, you know, we are all people, we should unite and all this kind of stuff. And there's a scene with two doctors talking about life expectancy yeah. while lighting up cigarettes. Yep. And I, I, just I that, wrote that as well. That just sums up that era perfectly mm. to me. It's just so brilliant. Mm. Um, One of the other elements that is very progressive that, yes. I, that I always forget about this film is the fact that you've obviously got Klaatu or Mr. Carpenter, but the main person he interacts with is a single mum. Yes. Which, you know, 40s and 50s would have been really sort of frowned upon, but it's not... Um, she's a widow, so it's not Oh, is it? I thought bad. she was just... A, okay, fine. If she, I there's guess a, it is. Um, it's no, not there's, quite... There's as... a scene when, um, when Carpenter and... Is it Billy or Bobby? He's got one of those yeah. like, 50s child names. Yeah. Uh, uh, when they have their day out, uh, one of the things they do is they go to the cemetery. Oh, of course, yeah, because his dad was in the army. He asked the kid if all these people died in war. That's right, yeah, yeah. But I think um, it's I think it's a nice dynamic, yeah, to have that, and I think uh, I like the way they deal with her and her suitor. Mm. The other thing, something else I really liked actually is very often in movies, an ordinary person is used as the audience's conduit into an extraordinary situation. Yes, and in this case, mm. it's an extraordinary person who's used who's is being used as a window on our normal world. Yes, yeah, kind of using an outsider to make us look at ourselves. Mm. Yeah, 
Yeah, um, I think that's, uh, like you say, that's kind of what makes it special. I yeah. think that's probably what sets it apart from those other kind of 50s B-movies flying saucers because it's all about mm. them invading us, mm. whereas this yeah. isn't. Yeah. You know? Another one of the details I really liked is um, when uh, Klaatu and the kid... The kid asked him to go and look at the, the UFO crash site before he knows that Carpenter is Klaatu. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's a radio interviewer going around interviewing the front row about what they think. Yeah. And it's all these people like, oh, I'm scared. Oh, it's, you know, it's the Russians, it's the aliens, it's all this business. Yeah. And the guy interviews Carpenter. Mm. And as soon as Carpenter expresses an opinion contrary to the media's message of fear... Mm. He's not interested anymore. Yeah, I love that bit. He just kind of he kind of just hushes him up and walks away. Doesn't he? He's yeah. like, oh, yeah, well, okay, thank you, fine. Yeah. We'll carry on. And again, that that is progressive for the fifties. Yeah, absolutely. As yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, like, to not to kind of to kind of show that in a way that subtle to an audience. Yes, I think is quite progressive for a, a movie made in nineteen fifty one. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think it's something that you know today we we talk about media fear-mongering and mm. you know fox news and all of that kind of stuff and it's like oh so that you know there's a there's the seed of this yes you know yeah have you have you ever seen um good night and good luck uh i believe i have yes i have yeah because that's kind of you know that that's always set around this sort of time and and the me you know the guy that was standing in the face of the media mm. uh morrow uh, so yeah I guess it's kind of this was when I need to watch that again actually I, I do as well actually it's been a long time mm. since I've seen it um, I guess it, it's kind of sowing the seeds of big media mm. back then and the fact that okay so media is not too dissimilar from propaganda yeah so yeah exactly that um, so a weird little note okay for a movie made in 1951 mm-hmm. The rear projection's really good yeah. in all the driving scenes because like, <laughs> Actually, the principal yeah, cast right. never... It's all set in Washington, but the principal yeah. cast never went to Washington. Right. Okay. Um, it was a load of background plates shot yeah. by the second unit when they were filming all the army stuff out mm. on the streets in Washington. Uh, yeah. And then they used them in the driving scenes mm-hmm. uh, and some other stuff as well. There's some bits mm. where they're cu- where um, uh, where the, the principals are comped in mm. over rear projections of Washington. Right. Uh, and it's it's seamless. Mm. It's yeah, really good. it's a, weird, a weird thing to pick up on. No, absolutely. I think it's because I've been watching a lot of Chuck, which has some dreadful green screen. In it. <laughs> right, fair enough. <laughs> um, uh, there were two quotes in this film I really liked, mm. and I wrote down: um, when Klaatu escapes from the hospital, right, and he's looking for a place to stay, you hear like news reports just playing over him walking around. Yeah, and one of them has the line: "He's not eight feet tall as reported, nor does he have tentacles." <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and then the uh, uh, Barnhart, the scientist, comes mm. out with a good quote. We've yeah. done a very bad job of explaining the actual story. Of this yeah, no, movie. absolutely, yeah. Um, so, um, Klaatu finds out about this scientist uh, and goes to see him, and he's not in, but kind of um, uh, helps him solve a problem that's on his blackboard mm. and gets called back, and they kind of... Uh, it's his way of establishing that he's the real deal. Yeah. it's. I think what he does is there's a huge equation yes. that doesn't add up. And yes. what Klaatu does is he doesn't give him the answer. He just gives him a little line of of like more equation that's just kind of a hint to what the answer might be. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which I like because it's not like 
it's almost like uh, Klaatu's come and he's like, I'm, I'm not interfering in your progression as a race, but I'm just giving you a little indication that yeah, you need to talk to me because I might know something that you're interested in. And it, I, again, it's one, of, it's one of those subtleties that just is really nice and kind of, you know, well, subtle, I guess, but, mm. you know, it just kind of sits really nicely to his character. Mm. And the... Uh... Klaatu tells uh, Barnhart that he's going to um, he's going to demonstrate his power in a non he's in a non destructive way. Yeah. Or rather, Barnhart asks him to demonstrate, yes. doesn't he? Mm. Um, yeah. He's basically uh, saying, "Oh, you want me to get all these people together, but I can't do that unless something significant happens. But yes. the condition is nobody gets hurt. Yes, nobody gets hurt. Nothing gets destroyed. Yeah. Um. Uh. And Klaatu asks him, "Do you have faith that all these people will show up if he gives this demonstration?" Mm. Uh, and Barnhart's reply is, it isn't faith that makes good science, Mr. Klaatu, it's curiosity. <laughs> right, yes. And I really like that line. <laughs> that's brilliant, yeah. Um, and that's it. That's like mm. uh, an hour into the movie, and I've run out of notes because I just sat watching it. It did kind of, um, it dips about an hour in, yeah. I think, uh, and then kind of picks up again towards mm. the end. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Oh, cool. We haven't talked. We apart from the suit, we haven't talked about Gort, have we? The giant. No, robot. not really. No, he's just kind of like a, he's just there, really, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, he's the iconic image. The yes, exactly. You know, which is interesting. I mean, because he's just, yeah, he's just guard. He just stands outside the spaceship for most of it. Yeah, yeah. That is the image you think of. Is mm. that saucer with him standing by it? Mm. Um, you don't really think about Klaatu too much. Gort. No, I. Just, I yeah, no. I mean, he's, if you think of the, if you think of oh, the sorry, Davis, yeah, yeah. You, okay, I get you. I know what you, you mean. think yeah, of Gorton the spaceship. You don't think of Clarty. Right, yeah. Whereas mm. if you watch the movie, it's the other it's, way around. It's all, yeah, it's all Clarty and not a lot of Gort. Yeah, which sounds horribly <laughs> medical. It does. <laughs> I'm sorry, Doctor. It's all Clarty and not a lot of Gort. Um, yeah, that's about it. Uh, I highly recommend it. Yeah. Um, it's both kind of like a fun flying saucer movie and a kind of serious political allegory mm. all rolled into one. Yeah. Yeah, I think I like, I think it, you know, it kind of gives it, I think it kind of gave the sci-fi genre a bit of weight. You know, a bit of yeah. like actually yeah, you can This isn't just this isn't just fluff nonsense and popcorn. Yeah. We can tell some proper stories with this. Yeah. Yeah, we can, you know, we Bizarre can utilize the genre. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and mm. that, I mean again it's why I I I read a lot of sci-fi, like Isaac Asimov and Arthur mm. C. Clarke, and a lot of the stories have that, you know, have that bigger picture, mm. and that's what I like about the genre, really. Marvelous. Um, I found a uh, trolling the one-star reviews on Amazon again. Mm-hmm. I found one for this. Right. It only has three one-star reviews, and two of them are about uh, DVDs that don't play in their DVD pl- the right DVD player. Right. Um, this one says, I shall read the book Farewell to the Master by Harry Bates, on which the film is a viewpoint of and sourced from. Before watching the film, methinks it is best to formulate my own opinions first before watching someone else's. Uh, and a fascinating fact about this film, yeah. it won a Golden Globe oh, really? in 1952. Mm. Do you know what it won for? No. Best film promoting international understanding. <laughs> really? Yes. That's nice. I didn't know that category. <laughs> no. No, it's quite a nice little award, isn't it? Yeah. Awesome. Um, we only have one pitch this week. Yeah. It is a listener pitch, uh, which I'll be able to read to you when I open my 
have you seen email? Yeah, we've got a we've got a few. I think we've got a few listener pictures kicking around. Haven't we that we need oh, to. Oh yes, of... we still have, but the trouble yeah. is finding them. However, this oh, one yeah. is easy to find as it is on both UK and US Netflix. I don't oh, believe. Awesome. If it turns out to be not on either, we're a bit buggered. <laughs> yeah. Um, Pete Hammond mm-hmm. in sending us his review of uh, Grabbers. Yeah. Uh, tacked on the end a pitch okay it said also a pitch with an exclamation mark and like a little waver in the voice as mine did just then <laughs> yeah it's written there it's like an accent over the eye yeah. i um, wonder if pete's a prepubescent teenager i don't think he is no. he's married oh well yeah he might be a married prepubescent <laughs> yeah, teenager yeah. pete get in touch tell us about your situation <laughs> um pete says carrying on uh the low budget uk movies i hereby pitch to you tower block right uh it says, he says, set in a tower block, funny that, mm. populated by ordinary folk just trying to get by in a fairly shitty neighbourhood in an area that is marked for demolition slash redevelopment. This right. tense little British film was surprisingly enjoyable with a couple of proper jump scares. Mm-hmm. Also shows that Sheridan Smith can actually act, not that you'd know that from two pints of lager and a packet of crisps. Right. Um, that's all of Pete's pitch. Okay. Um, I've gone on IMDb. I have a, a little bit more synopsis than that. Okay, okay. Uh, it says, several months after witnessing a murder, residents of Tower Block 31 find themselves being picked off by a sniper, pitting those lucky enough to be alive in a battle for survival. Mm. Sounds intriguing. It does. It does. I was intrigued uh, when it came out. I remember reading about it when it came out uh-huh. uh, and was intrigued and just haven't got around to watching it. All right. Um, so thank you to Mr. Hammond for bringing it to our attention. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the... I've seen the like the poster for it on Netflix as a thing, mm. and as I've skipped over it, and I've got, I, I, I don't know what I thought it was, mm. and I just like maybe I just sort of like skipped it and just assumed it was like some, it, like, you know those gritty urban. You just assumed Danny Dyer might appear. In yeah, it. or Adam Deacon. <laughs> uh, or, uh, Noel Clark is. Yeah, one. yeah. Wait, yeah. let me just check that Noel Clark is not in this film. <laughs> He's bound hold to on. be, or he produced it, or he wrote it, oh, or he on, directed it. Uh, Sheridan Smith, Russell Tovey. Right. Uh, it's going to be a lot of British TV actors, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, okay, I can confirm that none of the the unholy trinity we just right. mentioned are in this. Okay, movie. well that's good. That's a start. It's um, a plus point. That makes me want to watch it more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, and it's one of those things that I, I'm quite kind of wary of that genre, that sort of British movie now, mm. just because there are so many bad ones around. That is true. Yes. So hopefully, uh, Pete's picked us out a nice, a nice, uh, a good diamond in the rough, as it were. Well, uh, what? I was going to I was going to pick on a, a one amusing bit of trivia from the IMDb yeah uh, uh, the IMDb page, but all all it has under the interesting section are are two goofs right okay. In long shots of the tower block, there's always an aircraft in the same part of the sky off to the right. <laughs> so we'll keep an eye out for that when we watch. Yeah okay. And hope it doesn't distract us from the film. Yeah. It must be on Heathrow's flight path. I guess so. Yeah. Um, or city, I suppose. Depends where the tab block is, really, doesn't it? It does. I thought it said East End, didn't it? Uh, I never once mentioned the East End. Didn't you? I just assumed. No. It just says a shitty part of London. Well. Yeah. Let's go before we offend people. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> if you've seen Tower Block, or in fact anything we have ever talked about on this show, mm-hmm. you can get in touch with us and tell us about it uh, on Twitter, at HYS Podcast. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash Podcast. 
The website is haveyouseen.net and the email is podcast at haveyouseen.net. We also have a YouTube channel upon which we are putting videos, uh, mostly these days, um, films that uh, pitches, video, little video pitches for films that we both like uh, that aren't going to get discussed on the show because we're not going to pitch them to each other. Yeah. Uh, so there are now four up there. Yeah. Uh, Tom has done The Ipcris File. Yeah. And what was your first one? Oh, God, this is terrible. In Bruges. I do this every week. I f- In Bruges. There we are. That was the first one. Yeah. In Bruges, The Ipcris File. And I did Drive, No, Not That One. Yeah. And uh, Some Like It Hot. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, um, I need to crack out some more, actually. Uh, hopefully. I've got. I've I'll just booked to. a lot of time off work. Mm. Uh, so I intend to do a whole bunch while I'm off. Awesome. Okay. Um, well, I shall. Uh, hopefully things have sort of calmed down for me a little bit as well. So hopefully I'll be able to pick up and, and do a few more as well. Marvellous. We shall populate that channel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find that channel at youtube.com slash user slash HYS podcast. Mm-hmm. We like shares and likes on Facebook, particularly of new show posts. We like retweets on Twitter, again, especially of new show tweets. We like reviews and ratings on iTunes. We like subscribes to the um, to the YouTube channel. And we like your pitches for new films and reviews of stuff that we've covered. Mm-hmm. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to Alexia Mann for his technical expertise. As always. The Mighty um, Bizard. And, uh, yes, The Mighty Bizard. Yeah. I haven't seen him very much recently. No, I haven't either. I think I think uh, it's it's very, very busy. It's crunch time in yeah, Bizard world, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, he's, I think he's uh, snowed under. Ah, a Bizard blizzard. Yes. And on that dreadful piece of wordplay, <laughs> we shall be off and we shall see you next week when we talk about Tower Block. Yes. Uh, and awesome. until then, keep your head down, don't get shot. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> nice.